Hi, I'm Ryan Flaherty, Nike Senior Director of Performance. For two years, I've been making this podcast, talking to experts in every aspect of training, both mental and physical. This season, with all of our lives turned upside down by the coronavirus, I'm calling up some of those same experts, and ones you haven't heard from yet, to find out how they're staying strong while staying home, and how we can do the same. You're listening to Trained at Home. Let's focus on some of the things that we all need to be focusing on. Our mobility, right? Our general joint health, our flexibility. And so just really kind of taking the time of like, hey, you know what? This is a season where I can just make my body generally healthier as opposed to trying to get bigger, faster, stronger. That's not the season for this. The season for this is staying healthy and maintaining my health on every level, mental, physical, spiritual. That's physical therapist Sue Falsoni talking about why this is a great moment to prioritize restorative movement, mindfulness, and self-care. Personally, I found it harder to make time and space for recovery, even though I have more spare time. My daily schedule is disrupted, I don't have access to the same equipment, and at home, it's easier to rest in ways that aren't restful, like staring at my phone. Sticking with a recovery routine now takes more discipline and expertise than ever. That's why I'm really excited to talk to Sue today. As one of the top physical therapists on the planet, she helps athletes of every level recover from injury or avoid it altogether. She spent a good chunk of her career as director of physical therapy of the LA Dodgers. And now we're lucky to have her as a member of the Nike Performance Council. Today, she'll offer up some breathing exercises, yoga tips, and professional rehab techniques we can all use to stay limber, strong, and ready to jump back into the flow once this is over. Hey, Sue, how are you doing? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. I like your setup in there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, they made me set up in the closet. Uh, apparently, it dampens the noise or something from the outside. So I, ho- I hope this home studio works. Yeah. So thank you, though, Sue, for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate it, under, especially under you know these circumstances. Right. Yeah, It's this is definitely um, an unprecedented time, I think, for, for anybody in our lives and interesting times for sure. What moment did you realize that you should probably take this seriously and, and recognize that it was a big deal, that you had to change the way you've been living your life? When, you know, I started to see that international travel was being limited, that international travel restriction really hit home for me. Mm. Like, oh, gosh, this is not going to be great for a while. I have an autoimmune disease. And um, so really for the last year and a half, I've been wiping down plane seats and wearing gloves and wearing a mask when I travel. And so I've been taking those precautions and just feeling like an absolute goofball for a really long time. Um, So the nice thing right now is I really feel like the fitness community and the strength and conditioning community has really come together during this time. And everybody is putting so many different workouts online for free. So I feel like if anything... I've been way more supported as someone who typically does work out at home or at a hotel room or, you know, at a hotel gym. I'm like, oh, gosh, there's so many people putting their great workouts up. So for me, it's actually been kind of nice. You know, I've been following along with different people on those and, um, yeah, just trying to, to make that adaptation. Yeah, the need to focus on routine and process is really, really important. How are you doing that? How are you staying focused? Like, what does your routine look like right now? 
It's a huge adjustment, right? To go from having to go into the office every day to all of a sudden working from home. That transition of moving yourself to a home office is really difficult. And so I think the biggest thing, like you've already said, is establishing a routine. So to kind of have those times where you're like, okay, I'm going to get up at eight. I'm going to work until 10. Then I'm going to work out and do my own thing from 10 to 12 and walk the dog and eat some lunch and kind of just relax for a little bit, get myself outside, do my workout. Uh, I like working out in the middle of the day just because it breaks up my workday a little bit. But really kind of establishing that daily routine and times for work and time for relaxation, I think is really, really important. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are struggling right now to keep up with their workout and recovery routines. Is there an ideal way to organize your recovery routine while you're at home? So I think that that's a great question, right? Like people are just generally struggling with their routine. And I think that's the key word is routine. If we haven't established it yet, like this, we're going to need to buckle down. Like this is happening for a little while still. What time do you need to go to bed at night? What are the hours that you're going to focus on your work? What are the hours you're going to focus on your kids' work? What are the hours of the day that you're going to focus on your own mental health and your own physical health, because if you're not mentally healthy and physically healthy, you're not going to be able to help everybody else out in your household. So we have to be able to kind of carve out that time. Actually, writing it out the night before can really help to make it stick and be a habit or a routine. Huge, huge. Even And even if it's not like your hour by hour, but like for me, I need to establish my goals for tomorrow today. So like mm. I always go to bed where I'm like, okay, I'm going to accomplish three things tomorrow. I'm going to get a 30-minute workout in. I'm going to treat one patient and I'm going to, you know, I have these two other business goals, right? So even if you're not someone who's willing to sort of map out their day hour by hour, maybe you're that person who can attach themselves to goals and maybe you just have three to five goals for tomorrow. And that's, and that's what's got to get done. Yeah. That's great advice. Are you actually, are you taking any personal self-care time throughout the day to focus on meditation or mindfulness right now? Yeah, I I have a daily meditation practice and sometimes it's mixed up with a movement meditation, right? Like for me, my yoga practice is very much a movement-based meditation. That's great. What do you do for your movement meditation? Yeah, I practice and I've been trained in vinyasa yoga. And so it's a really, it's a breath-based movement meditation. And so every movement has an inhale and every movement has an exhale. So really that's where I focus all of my attention because, you know, exhales are really going to sort of root you and ground you into what you're doing. Hmm. Inhales really sort of expand and allow expansion and, and openness. And so I try to focus on that breath because the whole purpose of yoga or one of the purposes of yoga is to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? And so I would always tell the athletes that I work with, it's not about trying to do like some crazy posture, Hmm. but it's about if I can get you into a difficult position or a position that you don't like or a position that challenges your breath, your job is to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? It's not comfortable trying to swing at a 98 mile an hour fastball in front of 58,000 people. It's also not easy to try to breathe and to be able to maintain your focused breath when you're kind of crouched up into different postures and you're in an uncomfortable position. And so getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is really what yoga has taught me. Yeah, that's interesting. I know I was actually on a phone call this morning with a neuroscientist and we were talking about the fact that when we're faced with really difficult situations, that it's better to get back into the body, that the mind can sometimes lead us astray and that you have to get back and trust your body and your breath. 
Yeah, I think that the beauty of those slow rhythmic deep breaths and why breath-based meditation can be so helpful is because our vagus nerve pierces our diaphragm. And so our vagus nerve is one of our largest parasympathetic nerves. Vagus, named after um, a Latin word, of course, as most anatomy is, and it's called the wanderer. Um, and because it's it's so long, it really comes from our brain. It goes all the way down from our necks. It passes behind our heart, pierces the diaphragm, and innervates our gut. And so when we stimulate that vagus nerve through deep breathing or diaphragmatic breath, and, and we really utilize that diaphragm, we stimulate that vagus nerve. So like I said, it's a parasympathetic nerve, so it brings us back into a, a rest and digest state. And the reason I say rest and digest is because it does innervate our gut. We have these two states, right? We have a sympathetic state and a parasympathetic state. Sympathetic is our fight or flight. Our parasympathetic is rest and digest. And if we go back to the caveman days, right? Like fight or flight, that's when you had to go hunt for food. You were running away from a wild animal, right? Like you literally were fighting or fleeing for your life. As opposed to when you're in a parasympathetic state, you're resting, you're sleeping, you're digesting, you're eating, you're comfortable. And so now our world generally is sort of in a sympathetic state because, right, we're always on our phones, we're always on our computers, people aren't sleeping well, people aren't digesting very well. And now everybody is super, super stressed out because people are literally fighting for their lives as a, as, as a whole. And so we're sort of in that sympathetic state. So if we can tap into that parasympathetic our sleep becomes better. Our digestion literally becomes better, right? Like there's a reason you can't digest food very well when you're stressed out. When you're in a sympathetic state, your muscles are being um, flooded with blood, right? Like you're trying to run, like you're literally running for your life. So all of your blood flow, all of your body's energies are not towards your heart. They're not towards your guts. They're not toward your brain. They're literally towards your muscles so you can flee and be safe. And so when you're constantly in that sympathetic state, you're not going to be digesting your food well. You're not going to be able to sleep. And so, yeah, I think that breath-based meditation, when we stimulate that nerve, our sleep becomes better, our stress decreases, our digestion becomes better, and a lot of good things happen and we can stimulate that nerve anatomically and physically by deep breathing. When you talk about deep breathing, can you give us an example of what you're talking about? Something that people could maybe try at home if they're not familiar. Do you do equal breathing the six seconds in, six seconds out? I do. I, I think that's a, a really good suggestion to start, right? Where like, I just kind of get into a quiet place. Don't worry about shutting your mind off. The, the thing I attach to is counting. And so I can count. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a really good distraction. Yeah, it's a great distraction, right? Because all of a sudden you're trying to even out your breath and maybe you're inhaling for a count of six and then you're exhaling for a count of six and you're inhaling again for a count of six or exhaling. And I don't care if the number's four, I don't care if the number is seven, the number doesn't matter, but it's just you sort of are evening out your breath and having an equal inhale and an, and an equal exhale is a really easy way to start. And just seeing like what, what happens from there, right? And kind of noticing, are you breathing more from your nose or your mouth, right? Like ideally that's happening from your nose. Um, when people are yeah. mouth breathing, when we're not exercising and we're just trying to rest and relax, that inhalation through our nose is really important because our nose hairs filter the air. And so we want to be comfortable breathing through our nose. That's really important. Now, when we're exercising, those are different things, right? So you can start with counting and then, you know, kind of see like, okay, am I breathing through my nose? As I inhale, my belly should be rising, right? Like let's say you're laying on your back. As I inhale, my belly should rise towards the ceiling. As I exhale, my belly 
belly should sink towards the floor. As I inhale, my belly rises because my diaphragm is descending and it's pushing my abdominal contents out. And as I exhale, my diaphragm comes up so my abdominal contents can come in. If you're doing the opposite, see if you can can get to what I just described, right? Because we don't want to have what's called a paradoxical breathing pattern where we're doing the opposite of that. Because again, that just becomes a little bit inefficient. We see that sometimes in people with um, back pain is they kind of have opposite breath. Right. So we want to we want to get to the point where we, we have that diaphragm working. So I think first step number one is just evening out your breath. Step number two is making sure that you're able to breathe comfortably in and out through your nose. Step number three would be as you inhale as your belly rising, as you exhale as your belly sinking. I think those are like three just really easy suggestions to kind of get people going into that breath-based meditation. You might be able to lay there for two minutes. Who cares? That's perfect. You might be able to lay mm-hmm. there for 10 or 15 minutes and you might find that you fall asleep. That's awesome. But kind of having some of these physical things to attach to, I think kind of helps people get out of their brain a little bit, gives them something else to focus on and, and might just be a nice, easy way for people to kind of start. Absolutely. I, it's funny. A lot of people, when they are anxious, I think they think they're doing something wrong. Like we've labeled that as bad, but ultimately anxiety is a good signal. It's to us, it's saying something like something in the world isn't right and you should be aware of it. So anxiety doesn't have to be a negative thing. I think it can teach us something. You're absolutely right. Like, and I keep telling people that it's okay to not be okay. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are not okay right now for a variety of reasons, right? Whether it's just you're worried about somebody who you know is not healthy or maybe who's been affected by the virus or um, you know, you're know you caring for someone or your children's school has been closed and you're trying to figure out how to balance work and paychecks and mortgages and you know taking care of your kids and making sure that they're okay too. Like it's a lot of stuff. I'm anxious. I am not an anxious person at all. <laughs> and and I'm super anxious right now, right? Yeah, yeah, and same, same. Yeah, it's it's okay to not be okay. And and you know, a lot of us are not okay right now. And and I think acknowledging mm-hmm. that is is number 1. And I think that's what I'm trying to tell my clients is that, "Hey, you know what? It's okay. It's okay that you're you're not okay. It's okay that your priorities are a little bit shifted right now." you know, your league has been canceled, right? Or suspended indefinitely. Like, so yes, we need to work out because there's a lot of really good things that that we can get from our workouts, but those workouts are going to be different. Everybody's supposed to be in season right now. Clearly we're not in season, so we need to shift. And it's okay, you know, that power development isn't your number one concern right now, (laughs) right? Like, Atrophy prevention is probably just fine for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like, let's just get it under control, attach movement to more stress relief versus power development. You're not going to forget how to hit a baseball between now and and May. So it's going to be okay, right? And so this is what it is. And and how am I going to manage that, right? And, And people manage anxiety in a lot of different ways. For me, being able to find habits, those things for me have been really, really helpful in managing my anxiety. And so my workout, even if it's 30 to 45 minutes a day, a walk with my dog, having him next to me and being able to get outside, you know, how people manage their anxiety it is different for everybody. We've got to all try to find that thing that helps us manage it in a positive way. Let's focus on some of the things that we 
all need to be focusing on our mobility, right? Our general joint Mm -hmm. health, our flexibility. And so just really kind of taking the time of like, hey, you know what? This is a season where I can just make my body generally healthier as opposed to trying to get bigger, faster, stronger. That's not the season for this. The season for this is staying healthy and maintaining my health on every level, mental, physical, spiritual. After the break, Sue will walk us through how to adjust our workout, recovery, and sleep habits so we can stick with our routines, even when we're staying home. Stick around. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. And in regions where NTC Premium is available, that's free now too. You can learn more about movement, mindset, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. So right now, a lot of people are at home and and sitting around, you know, watching TV more often or sitting at their desk more often. What are some of the things that you would recommend people do to stay strong and flexible, even when we're just hanging around the house? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is we're all like binge watching Netflix and (laughs) Hulu and everything right now is that our hips are going to get really tight and our mid backs are going to get really tight. So our thoracic mobility, right? We're all sitting at computers and we're all sitting on our couches being super comfy and our posture is going to get really, really bad really quickly if we (laughs) don't combat it. So the other thing I've really been trying to do on a daily basis is spend time in some thoracic extension, right? So laying like physically laying on my back on the floor, And making sure as I lift my arms up over my head, can my thumbs touch the floor um, behind me, right? So like as I just try to make myself a big X from my legs to my arms, can my thumbs still touch the floor? Can my heels touch the floor? You know, do I have enough mid-back thoracic extension in order to get my arms up over my head? That's really, really important. Now, if you couldn't do that before, then you probably aren't going to be able to do that now. (laughs) But because we're spending so much time in this flexed position, watching TV, being at our computers, we need to make sure that we're maintaining that extension in our body. So that's going to be super, super important. Do you have any ankle or hip mobility routines you could call out that people at home right now could look up on the internet to, to use? Yeah, I actually have a workout on the Nike training app. I actually have two of them. Mm -hmm. So they're totally for beginners. You need zero equipment and they're totally mobility based. So if you go to the Nike training app and just plug in my name, you'll get two really easy go-to mobility things that focus on exactly that, our thoracic mobility and our hip mobility. So those those would be the best way. So that way you can make sure that you're doing the exercises properly um, and you can see exactly what we're talking about. Do you find that most people as we age and even athletes really is that there's a loss of ankle, hip and thoracic mobility, that those are really the three areas that people need to focus on as we age? Absolutely. I was asked one time a few years back to speak at a conference specifically for strength coaches who dealt with youth athletes. And I almost declined. I was like, I don't, I work with 18 to 35 year old, healthy professional male athletes. Like, I don't know why you want me to speak at your conference. And they were like, we want you to speak about the things that you see in that professional athletes that if we can combat when they're little, what would be the things that you would want to see people prevent from happening. And so I thought, oh, that's brilliant. So I thought, okay, what are the things that I always see and I struggle with with my professionals? Ankle mobility for sure, hip mobility for sure, right? Their posture. Those things are really, really important for all of us. 
So as an evidence-based practitioner myself, I, I have a hard time sometimes because when I see people in the gym or see them on social media, you know, I see them spending a lot of their time in modalities that don't have a ton of research behind them. And right now in the world in, in recovery, it's booming. So you see things like pneumatic compression, vibration percussion technology, like the massage guns. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you, what modalities do you stand behind? What do you recommend to your athletes that they use on a daily basis? I always go back to what's been around for thousands of years. And when you think about that, just because maybe we don't exactly know why it's working, it's probably working because things that don't work don't stick around for a decade, let alone thousands of years, right? So what's been around for thousands of years? Needles, cups, instrument-assisted, movement, breath. Those are the five things I go back to, right? Those are the things that have been around for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So I want my patients to move. I want my patients to breathe. If I can do some instrument-assisted stuff, great. I utilize needles a lot in my practice. You know, same thing with, with cupping. And so those are the five things I go back to. Everything else is a shiny, cool tool. Yeah. Awesome. I, I know well, one of the areas I actually wanted to touch on with you a little bit is I, I got the question from one of our podcast listeners who asked, I did a Google search on science behind stretching and it was all over the place. So what, what should I be doing? And so Sue, from your perspective, I'd love you to talk about what are the differences between, you know, mobility, stretching and flexibility. And then what are the types of modalities of stretching that you incorporate or use with your athletes that you'd recommend to our podcast listeners? Gosh, if you Google that, I can't even imagine what would come up in that Google search, right? It's going to be all over the map. Yeah. But you're right. People kind of utilize the terms flexibility and mobility interchangeably. And really, when we look at it definitionally, flexibility really has to do with your muscles and like how long you know, your muscles are and like how much extensibility do, do your muscles have. Mm -hmm. Mobility really refers to more of your joint so your joint capsule. So if someone is hypermobile, they have a lot of, right, they're able to kind of bend their thumb back to the backside of their arm or, you know, whatever. Someone's sort of quote unquote double jointed for lack of a better word, right? Like that's a hypermobile person. So mobility really kind of refers to someone's joint mobility. And then your total range of motion really kind of combines the two, right? Flexibility and mobility combined to give you total range of motion of anything. So if you have a really, really tight joint, but your muscles are really flexible, you're going to be limited in your range of motion by your shoulder joint, hmm. as opposed to if your shoulder joint's totally fine, but your muscles are tight, then you're going to be limited by your flexibility. So, you know, a proper assessment can definitely help in order to, to make sure people are stretching the thing that they really need to be stretching. But in absence of that right now, I think that stretching in general can kind of be a, a good thing for a few different reasons. One, because it just is really a way to get us moving. And so if we think of things as kind of like an active mobility or an active stretch or a dynamic stretch versus more of a static stretch where maybe you sit and you hold something for a long period of time, those are two very different things. You can find research on both of those that can be very, very positive and that can be very, very negative. And I think the biggest thing is it comes into a matter of timing, meaning the negativity that we saw around static stretching really happened because people were doing static stretching before they were trying to, to do something powerful or very active. Mm -hmm. But yet there's some really, really fantastic benefits of static low load prolonged stretching. So I think for me, if you're doing it pre-workout, then I think you definitely want to go to a more dynamic stretch or a dynamic warm-up or a dynamic movement, like a yoga-based 
movement because research has shown us that that's good to do before a movement, right? It helps maintain our, mm-hmm. our ability to um, produce power and to, to be fast, right? Like you don't want to do slow static stretching and then ask yourself to go to be powerful. Those things don't really match up. So before you're going to be active, I think a dynamic warm-up makes sense. If you're done with your workout or you have an off day that day, some low load prolonged stretch. And what I mean by low load, like if you take your finger and pull it backward, like you can pull it backward to an extent and hang out there for a minute and feel fine. Or you can pull your finger back way, way too far and it's going to hurt and it's going to (laughs) be painful and you're going to hurt yourself. So that low load prolonged stretch is like, just like you're pulling your, your finger backward and just sort of giving yourself a nice, easy, like, okay, yeah, I can hold this here for 60 seconds. That's what I mean by a low load prolonged stretch. And I think those things are really good to do at the end of your workout or on an off day or a day you don't plan on being too active just to sort of get you moving a little bit. And mm-hmm. you can kind of sink into some of those things that might be a little bit tight into your hips, into your quads, right? Like everybody's quads and hip flexors are going to be really, really tight. So sort of working on um, some some proper ways to to be able to stretch those those muscles out because our muscles are going to be getting tight sitting around. Hey, so I want to transition a little bit and talk about sleep. How should people structure their sleep schedule? Oh, that is a very good question. Sleep is definitely something that is so, it's like I find that if I'm not sleeping well, that is when everything falls off the rails. My emotions, mm-hmm. my physical health, like that's when I get mm-hmm. sick is when I don't sleep. So I think establishing some really good habits of sleep hygiene is really important. I have found, right, you have to establish what are the things that wake you up, right? So if it's you wake up every night in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, okay, well, I do that too. So I've really limited my liquid intake, which may or may not be the right healthy choice for you, right? But I limit my liquid intake post like 9.30 at night because I noticed if I don't, then I'm up every night, right? Waking myself up to go to the bathroom. I wear my eye mask because I know if not at six o'clock in the morning, when the lights start shining through my window, I'm wide awake and I don't want to be wide awake at six in the morning. That's not a good time for me to be awake. (laughs) So, right. The eye mask is huge. The earplugs is absolutely huge. Turning my phone to do not disturb because if I hear that vibration, I, I cannot not look at it. Right. So sometimes turning Mm -hmm. your phone to vibrate isn't enough. You've got to turn it to the do not disturb. So I think just having that bedtime routine, right? Like I make like a cup of decaffeinated tea that helps to like increase my body temperature a little bit, helps bring me down, right? I always shower at night. So same thing again, kind of that increases my body temperature, even though I want to sleep in a colder environment, I want my body temperature to be a little higher. So I go into Mm. my, my room that's a little bit cooler, right? So my shower at night, my tea, all of these things, all of a sudden now just start to make me tired, right? Whereas if mm-hmm. you don't have like a bedtime routine that starts to get you into shut off mode, it's going to be difficult. So it's not even mm-hmm. just about going to sleep. It's about what do I do in the hour and a half leading up to sleep? I shut the TV off. I read. I'm in my room. I got my eye mask on. That's it, right? Like, so it's all about prepping for sleep. And I find if I prep for sleep, my sleep is better. Okay, for people at home right now, do you recommend that they actually set up a physical recovery space in their home separate from from where they, you know, work? And how would you recommend they set that up? 
I do. I think that's really important. And and I have that kind of like in the side of my office. That's where my yoga mat is. That's where my, you know, some of my shiny toys are for like my, my recovery pumps <laughs> and like stuff that's just set up, right? Because if you've got to set it up every single time, like chances are then you're not going to use it quite often. So just having it readily accessible, but yet not where it's always in your face and in your space all the time, right? Because I am a, a super neat freak too. So like I definitely keep a neat house and like have stuff where it's Mm -hmm. supposed to be right. Like I'm a little type A when it comes to that. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I don't want like recovery stuff strewn all throughout my house. Right. So if it's just in this one place and then again, it's about mindset and it's about that mind frame of, Hey, when I'm in this area of my home, I'm focused on my own personal recovery, regeneration, or my movement. When I'm in this area of my home, I am working and every other part of my home is to live and relax and enjoy time with my dog and, you know, to kind of shut off from some of that stuff. And so, you know, my bedroom is for sleeping, right? Like there's a reason there's no TV in there and there's no areas of my home have very specific spaces. And so, you know, that's hard when you start having families of four or five um, because everybody has to have their own space. But um, yeah, if you can establish some type of a space for you, that would be really, really important. Okay, so last question. We're going to be at home for a bit longer. And, you know, when people start to see light at the end of the tunnel and life gets back to normal, they're going to want to jump right back into their training routine and get back to the gym. What would you recommend people do to prepare their body or tissue for making that transition? Yeah, you are so right. Like people are going to be so excited to be out of their homes and like back <laughs> at the gym that people are going to like just go crazy. Um, so yeah, I think a couple different things, right? Like just because you're doing body weight stuff at home doesn't mean you can't work out with intensity. For me too, that's one thing that I've been much better at in the last couple of weeks is that I'm having some of the better workouts I've ever had because normally... I am traveling so much and I am doing more mobility based stuff. And I'm like, okay, like this is workouts are a stress to your body. And I think we do need to remember that too, right? Your body doesn't know good stress or bad stress. It just knows stress. So for me, when Mm -hmm. I'm traveling and I'm not sleeping and I'm, you know, in Asia or Europe, right. And I'm like changing major time zones and I'm bouncing all over the place. Like for me, my workouts are trying to decrease my stress. They're not trying to add stress, right? So I'm never working out with any intensity. So quite frankly, in the last two weeks, I've been actually able to, even though I'm working out from home, I'm working out with some intensity, which is really nice and rare for me, right? And so I think that's the thing is that in kind of in the the week or two leading up to when the social distancing gets lifted, start to try to increase your intensity just because it's body work stuff doesn't mean you can't be going faster or doing more reps or or just sort of increasing intensity, whatever that means to just start to prepare. But you're absolutely right. Those first couple of weeks back into the gym, I would really caution people on the load that they're using. The bar can just be plenty enough, right? Or, or small mm-hmm. dumbbells can just be plenty enough. And I think really take a good two to four weeks to transition back into your typical gym routine. You don't want to be stimulating the economy by going to your local physical therapist because you you return to training too heavy, right? That's not the way to do that. So um, yeah, really take a good two to four weeks to get back into your normal gym routine because there is nothing to replace load 
And if you haven't been mm-hmm. loading for a month, remove that expectation from your brain now. If you were benching or squatting or doing something with load at 100 pounds, no matter how much you have kept up with your routine at home, you're not going to go back to that same load when you get to the gym. Give yourself two mm-hmm. to four weeks to build back up to the load that you were. Just don't walk back into the gym with that expectation. And if you don't have that expectation, you'll protect yourself. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Sue, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. I know people at home are going to get a ton out of this. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time and for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a super fun conversation. I had a great time talking with Sue Falsoni. I really believe her simple advice on breathing techniques and mobility are going to be two important pieces for helping us stay relaxed and fit this spring. The more time we can spend away from fight or flight mode during all of this, the better we're going to feel once it's over. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to see covered, email me at trained at nike.com. Next week, I'll be calling up author and meditation expert, Andy Puttacombe, to talk about how finding mindfulness is so difficult during a crisis and why it's more important than ever. This has been Trained at Home. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide, it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions. They shouldn't be taken as fact.